You are now listening to Sanity at the Movies. And Ben, I can tell you what movie we're talking about and whether I liked it in one word. <laughs> what would that be, Nathan? Nope! <laughs> oh, you got me. Oh, boy. Yes, folks. We're talking about Jordan Peele's Nope. And another of the episodes I like to call Russian Roulette episodes. Because we Russian Roulette, two of our podcasters, not see these movies. But one of us has to take the bullet. So poor Jake took the... What bullet did he just took? He took the most recent Thor. one. Yeah, <laughs> Jake, poor Jake took the Ragna... No, not Ragnarok. The Love and Thunder. Love and Thunder. Bullet. He experienced both love and thunder and ben have you had to take a bullet yet no you took you sort of you took top gun but i took top gun with you because yeah it was america's movie really yeah and we're yeah. americans so we saw it boy what 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 else well i, I don't know oh i took the north man bullet that was a, that was quite the bullet to Ugh. take it blew out the side of my head in a gritty realistic fashion because that's what bullet bullet would really do. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas the Top Gun bullet bounced right off of us and <laughs> was intercepted by an eagle. I dare <laughs> because Top Gun is set in America that doesn't exist anymore. In America that just loves uh, anyway. If, if that's not what we're here to talk about, we're here to talk about Jordan Peele's Nope. Ah, wonderful. Yeah, I'm a little. I'm a little. So Jordan Peele's Nope. Ah. Oh. That great filmmaker, Ben, are you a big Jordan Peele fan? Big uh, I've seen some comedy sketches that were pretty fun, mm-hmm. and uh, I have not been tempted to watch. The only movie of his I've been tempted to watch is Nope, in fact, mm-hmm. because I like alien movies, even if they have a dash of horror. That's okay, because it's aliens. It doesn't bother me. Yeah. It's not like the demon world. But as his other two, Get Out and Us, I was not tempted to watch Nah, yeah. <laughs> nope. Nope. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I that's my baggage. I've seen Us, and I enjoyed it as far as it went. It was a, it was a little intense, maybe. I saw... I did not ever bother watching Get Out. I kind of despised the whole Get Out m- movement, because everyone was like, a horror movie with something socially significant to say. It's a new thing. I'm like, <laughs> guys. Come on, this is this this is stupid. Horror movies have always been the most inescapably didactic of movie genres. It's actually hard to like if you're setting out to write a horror movie that's not didactic. It's actually pretty hard to do because you're gonna have to deal with good and evil, and you're gonna have to have them represented and personified one way or another. Which means, even if only by accident, you're gonna say something. I mean, even even if it's horny teenagers who only care about sex and stuff like that tend to die horrible deaths at the hands of slashers at summer camps, there's they're still just like inescapable moral content there. I mean, I'm not saying it's deep or anything. I'm just saying it, it exists. So mm-hmm. it's, it's actually hard to make a horror film that's that's completely devoid of social significance. And and many of the, what would be considered the great entries in the genre, things like Rosemary's baby or the exorcist or the haunting of Hill house, or, you know, many of those sorts of things actually are very 
socially significant, for lack of a better phrase that pops into my head. They're, they're about moments in the culture and the way that people feel. And It's easy to imagine. I haven't seen any of those either. I have, in fact, seen pretty much, there's almost no horror movie I've seen. Yeah, you're not a big horror guy. And I, hate, and I, I hate it. You're, you're, you're better for it. But, you know, you can imagine a movie about my husband made a deal with the devil to impregnate me and now I have a baby and I want to have it and love it, but I don't, but also it feels like it's other. You can imagine there might be some moral or social mm-hmm. <laughs> content <laughs> to that. <laughs> just, just a little bit. Yeah. And especially that movie coming out in, I want to say 1967, maybe that's when the book came out and coming out on the cusp of the social, the sexual revolution, all that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. Like, I'm not saying I agree with what it said, but it said something. And so when everybody was like, Get Out is about social themes. And it's a horror movie. It's about systemic (laughs) racism. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, you brainless morons. It's just the thing that happens where a disreputable genre, every once in a while, will have a non-disreputable entry that will gain prominence and culture mm-hmm. and people that don't know anything about that genre will feel the need to pontificate I, i'm not another example isn't coming to mind but the game of thrones hit everybody wanted to have a take on what epic fantasy was and it's like have you actually ever read it read any epic fantasy do you know anything about what happened in the 70s and 80s and like, like have you read your your different great authors and stuff like that or or did you just you just have a take based on Game of Thrones. Is that actually? And people will be like, wow, Game of Thrones brings real psychological depth to the fantasy genre for the first time. Well, yeah, the first time that you know about because you haven't read anything else. Try some Diana Wynn Jones. (laughs) Jerk. (laughs) (laughs) So Get Out was kind of like that. And Jordan Peele basked. and He didn't say, actually, horror is, a socially signif- is always socially significant. He basked in the... So you, so you were tracking with, with how he responded to the praise. Well, and... I don't know. I, I actually wasn't. So but oh, I know okay. he accepted it, though. <laughs> <laughs> and if he was a truly... A true man of integrity like I am, Ben. <laughs> if he was ah, like... If he, if he had the amount of integrity that I do, he would have said, I reject your accolades. I will not bathe in your hero worship. And for all I know, he gave interviews and said, actually, or he probably did. Yeah. He seems like a thoughtful guy, if nothing else. But still, just the, the response to that was, was ridiculous. Ridiculous, I say. So, so I never saw it. Don't care to see it. I, I, people probably know if they listen to this podcast or if they're familiar with me or anything. Things, I've often had a, I have a soft spot for... To this day, I have a soft spot for things that are spooky. You know, I enjoy Halloween and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But, and I have a lot of nostalgia for that kind of stuff from various things that I watched and grew up with. On the the other hand, I I also went through a phase when I was a teenager where I did watch all the slasher movies and things like that that were popular at the time. And I regret that. I think it was just sinful. I think most horror movies are just garbage that pander to the lowest instincts of people who just want to see blood guts viscera and mm-hmm. naked flesh so mm. that being said that's not what jordan peele has ever wanted to do he actually does want to make thematically rich interesting horror movies scary movies and he's one of the only creators that isn't associated with what am i trying to say he's he's maybe <laughs> worth talking about a little bit especially since this movie is less 
Like if, if this was just another Jordan Peele straight up R-rated horror movie, I think we wouldn't have done it. But given that it was a sci-fi alien advent- adventure, we thought it might be worth engaging with. We knew it was still going to lean horror, but it wasn't mm-hmm. going to be pure horror. We thought maybe some of our listeners might might be interested in it. Yeah. He's one of the only guys that can ha- get a big weekend. What am I trying to say? I keep stumbling over this. It's an obvious thought. He can, his name can open a movie. He mm-hmm. can, he can get, draw money and crowds based on the facts. Like he is his own IP. Nope is not based on a property. It's not like a comic book. It's not something that people mm-hmm. already knew about. What they know is, I like this Jordan Peele guy. And the last guy that was really like that in his prime was M. Night Shyamalan, who for a brief window there, right. you could sell a movie just on his name. And that all ended with, I'd say, Lady in the Water, which was him trying to cash a, a blank check and failing failing miserably. Although I, I think I'd still defend Sixth Sense, Unbreakable, and Signs as being pretty fun mm-hmm. movies. But... I probably would too. It's been so long. It's been so long. I thought that they were masterful when I was a kid or, or a teenager or whatever I was when they came out, just because they felt so you could you could sense a filmmaker's intention behind them. Like the shots were well composed and it wasn't just a bunch of coverage added edited together. It was there was a filmmaker, there was a voice, there was a somebody that was doing something and writing something and it was meant to be thought about and taken seriously. So I really liked that about Unbreakable and Signs in particular, as, as wobbly mm-hmm. as Signs especially is as it's in its construction. Mm-hmm. It felt like this is a genre piece, but it actually cares about Mel Gibson. It cares about his family. It cares about the family dynamic. It cares about the death of the wife. And I like that kind of stuff. I mean, I think that's always the dream to do a genre piece that also functions as its own good drama or comedy or whatever, you know, as, as something that actually can mm-hmm. deliver genre thrills, but have real characters and stuff. So anyway, I only bring that up because it's a parallel to Jordan Peterson. It's somebody whose name could open a movie. And, and also it's a similar sort of thing where, where Jordan Peele, he's, he's like a slow burn artistic filmmaker. You can feel like he, everything we complain about, he does really well we're always complaining about ah, it feels like they just filmed some stuff and edited it together later and there was no sort of intentionality there was no setups and payoffs like the writing wasn't there jordan peterson is a good storyteller with images jordan peele sorry jordan peterson <laughs> jordan peterson <laughs> masterful filmmaker jordan <laughs> peterson yes master master for master <laughs> filmmaker <laughs> jordan Peterson. No, Jordan Peterson is good at writing books and stuff. Jordan Peele is a good filmmaker. He's good at stringing together images with music, getting for good performances out of actors, all this kinds of stuff. You can mm-hmm. even see it in those Key and Peele sketches, which, oh, yeah. I've, which I've only ever watched a handful of. Yeah, I know some of them are really vulgar. Some of them are just quite funny. Yeah, yeah. It's the kind of thing that it's hard to avoid. Like uh, people just be, Hey, you want to, everybody has their favorite and they want to show it to you. Those are, I don't know what's a better word than artistic. I guess I'll just say artistic. They're, they're very well done. Like when they're doing a genre parody, it looks Mm -hmm. like the genre in a way that I've never seen in a comedy sketch Mm -hmm. before or after. I think Like, like they, they, there's good filmmaking in those sketches often. And that only extends into Jordan Peele's movies. He's a good filmmaker. I have not seen Get Out, but I've seen the other two and I can say he's a good filmmaker. So 
all that to say, I was excited about Nope, which was his big alien invasion movie. And I think a lot of people were excited about Nope. It's done pretty well this weekend, although not as well as us did and maybe not as well as people were hoping. I think it made $44 million when they were expecting it to make at least $50 million. So it'll probably still do okay. It'll probably more than break even, but it's maybe not being as well received as Get Out or Us were. But this is a guy, the only other guy, and he's a wicked man, but the only other guy that's like this right now is Quentin Tarantino. He can simply say, my name is Quentin Tarantino. I'm releasing a movie. It doesn't matter what it's about. And people will show up to see it because he is his own mm-hmm. brand. I, I really right. can't think of, even Spielberg doesn't have that power anymore. Like, no, no people didn't show up to see West Side Story just because Spielberg's Nolan. Name, name was on Nolan's it. Yeah, pretty, Nolan, Nolan has can. that power. And Nolan, there's a big trailer for Oppenheimer before. <laughs> I forgot that was his. Before us. Mm. Or before Nope. And doggone it, if it didn't look pretty cool. This <laughs> Good, no one's always going to do that to you. Yeah. And then you're going to watch it and you're going to be like, what is this soulless machine of a movie? <laughs> Why did I watch it? Oh, man. And I was particularly sad to see at the end of the pretty cool looking trailer, it said written and directed by Christopher Nolan, which means Jonathan Nolan didn't even help write it, which mm-hmm. is probably a bad sign in terms of soullessness. And <laughs> probably so. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. We're here to talk about Nope. Jordan Peele's alien invasion movie. Mm. <laughs> and I really don't have a finger on the pulse of whether how many of our listeners are actually excited about this one, but I'm sure some of them are interested in it and oh, might, I'm might, sure. might be interested in hearing <clears throat> my thoughts as the person who took the bullet. Uh, I went and saw this movie with my lovely wife. We went to the local IMAX in town. We, we got some popcorn. We ate the popcorn. The movie was projected onto a big screen. And we sat sound? there. Was yeah, there, there, sound? Was, there was sound. Really? It was kind of surrounding us, surround sound, you might even say. And uh, there was an audience, and we sat there, all of us, facing the screen. The movie was projected <laughs> onto that screen. Very strange. We engaged in it as kind of a narrative storytelling experience for about two hours and change. And then the movie was over, the credits played. We got up. We walked out. Well, went, all right. Went to the car, drove home. And in that car, I was actively angry this is the movie that i have been the most annoyed with in a long time which is kind of ridiculous because like i said we complain about things all the time we complain about the lack of ambition in hollywood the lack of just basic storytelling skills we complain about marvel movies not even caring about character continuity or about staging cool action scenes or about having good shots Mm -hmm. Uh, this movie is a in in its way a a pretty well done thriller i guess it's got great thriller scenes it's got a great slow burn it's got things like setups and payoffs it's (laughs) a a monster that you eventually get to see but for a long time you it builds slowly in your mind got great cinematography fantastic music and it's got big ideas that it wants to play with. I mean, the basic idea, I guess, is that we're all drawn to spectacle. And, and yet the spectacle that we're drawn to consumes us, even as it seduces us and draws us in, it consumes us. And so... Oh, you're not entertained! Are you not entertained? <laughs> and so this monster is kind of a metaphor for that spectacle, whether you think that's the news or Hollywood or, or whatever. 
this monster is something that people want to see and they want to document and they want to point their cameras at and they want to look into and understand and and some people want to crassly commercialize on it some people really want to look into the the maw of the abyss and yet they're all consumed except for maybe some of our heroes who spoiler alert may learn their lesson in time and don't look marion style but yeah so it's got big ideas and setups payoffs and actual screenplay with character development and and it's got all the stuff that we complain about <laughs> movies not having. And it's in a lot of it's very well done. I was not there there were some moral choices that I disliked greatly, and we'll talk about those. And yet it wasn't so gory in and of itself that I think I'd tell somebody to not see it, an adult mm-hmm. that wanted to see this movie. I, I don't think I'd warn them off of it on moral grounds. There's a lot of bad language. I think actually a lot of the R rating is just the F word, which I don't love, but it's it's not a make it or break it for me in terms of movies, generally speaking. So it's it, this movie had everything, didn't have a lot of the bad stuff mm-hmm. that we hate. And yet I was so much exponentially more annoyed by this movie than I was by Doctor Strange, which was terrible, than I was by <laughs> The Northman, I think, which was terrible than I was by all the terrible things that I've had to sit through for this. Must have had something to do with high expectations or something. Yeah, I guess my expectations were just so through the roof that even though this movie <laughs> was a complete and utter masterpiece. It I, wasn't good enough for It you. just wasn't good enough for <laughs> Nathan the Crank, Nathan the Grump, Nathan the guy who hates everyone and everything. Nope. Nope. <laughs> Thanks for listening, folks. No. I I really didn't like this movie. So the way I would describe the movie for this, if anyone's interested in seeing it, and I'll, I'll get into some spoilers here in a minute, but I guess I'll try and say the non-spoiler version first in case anyone's really interested in this movie. This movie doesn't, it does have all those things and they're all well done. Every, there's no individual scene that's not really, really well done in and of itself. Uh-huh. And yet there is not a screenplay here there is not a cohesive story. It feels like a first draft. It feels like he very presumptuously thought that he had very important things to say and that he was such a master filmmaker that he could bring all these scenes to life. And uh, maybe he was right about both of those things, but he didn't actually construct, first of all, on the level of entertainment, he did not actually construct a story that pulled me in at least in fact he did quite the opposite he constructed a story that kept me at arm's length i would i would compare it to something like like if you compare it, he was obviously going for a spielberg amblin entertainment 80s kind of a vibe so if you compare it to a spielberg classic like oh let's take jurassic park imagine if instead of getting to the dinosaurs in the first act we spent Two acts of the movie, two out of three, kind of setting up the dinosaurs and building them up in our mind. And that was really well done. But we also kept cutting to a subplot about a different time that Ian Malcolm learned that like chaos theory was real and that we shouldn't play God. A totally only related thematically traumatic (laughs) backstory for Ian Malcolm. And then when the dinosaur stuff finally started ian malcolm was instantly eaten and that was the end of him and that was the end of that whole plot this movie did that it had this 
subplot that I'd say it spent about a third of its running time on wow. that only connected thematically and that was just there to drive home the moral of the movie. And it just went on and on and on. And the subplot was pretty gruesome. You can see hints of it in the trailer and actually provided some of the more straight up horror movie material, none of which had anything to do with the big monster alien, but had to do with this other tra- this traumatic incident in the life of one of the characters that was kind of his motivating thing. And we just kept cutting back to it. And maybe I'm exaggerating when I say it was a third of the movie, but only because it's actually a fourth of the movie. I mean, it's a lot of narrative real estate spent on this thing that ultimately feels like it doesn't have a payoff beyond to kind of bolster the theme. It would be like if in Poltergeist, instead of keeping building up the creepy ghosts in the house type stuff, you cut to a different story of someone who had to deal with something that wasn't even ghosts, but was just something traumatic, the trauma of losing a child or something like that. Cause their child was kidnapped by ghosts, but this other character lost a child in a different way. And so we're just going to spend a long time on that. And actually that way was really gruesome. And the audience is going to have to sit through horrific scenes of this child abduction that when they paid for was a ghost movie. So I just really felt like it took the air out of the movie. So that, so on an entertainment level, even though a lot of the individual scenes, including this flashback, were really, really well done, I, I just felt like, man, this is taking a long time to get to the alien stuff. And I'm just, maybe this was just me, but I just subjectively, I just wasn't feeling like the awe of an alien encounter the way I wanted to, like, it's really well, like if I pulled up a scene after this movie comes out, I probably will pull up individual scenes on YouTube and show them to you because I know you love alien stuff. And yeah. so just, just like the saucer hovering over the farmhouse, that, that kind of and hiding in the mm-hmm. clouds and stuff. So well done. So evocative in and of itself. But then, right. but then it's like buttressed between all this other stuff that has nothing to do with it. And it just felt like here's a guy who wrote a screenplay and, and everybody assumes he's a genius. Everyone assumes he's important. Everybody knows he has something to say. And so no one wanted to second guess him. And he didn't want to second guess himself. Like nobody just wanted to say, hey, actually, you're not such a genius that just any idea you throw into your screenplay is, <coughs> is automatically great. You, you, hmm. you need to actually write a good screenplay with a, a compelling story that takes us from A to Z. And instead we go A, B, C, Y, J, 1, 2, for <laughs> number asterisk, sim- asterisk <laughs> number symbol. And, and so it was just, it was kind of weird, weirdly demoralizing in that way. Just like the energy kept flagging. Like, like you could imagine in a Spielberg movie, it's always amazing to me going back to those old Spielberg movies, how quick they actually are. Like as a kid, you watch something like ET and it's like, it, it feels like it takes, there's so much buildup and That's stuff. Right. Yeah. And it's like, actually by act two, we're friends with ET. It's just that Spielberg knows how to lay in all that stuff deftly mm-hmm. enough that he does give the proper buildup because he's a good filmmaker, but he, mm-hmm. he's moving the story along quickly. Something like close encounters, which we watched for this podcast, not too terribly long ago, you get your first close encounter of a second kind. I think it is pretty early on with Richard Dreyfus in his truck and mm-hmm. the shadow going over him and stuff <coughs> like that. Yeah. This movie just took a long time to get to the stuff. So so that's complaint number one. Complaint number two is I really resented this movie's didacticism. I've I've done a good job of summarizing what Jordan Peele thinks he's 
saying in this movie. Like I made it sound like it had a very cohesive point, but it is just all over the place. It's making allusions to class and certainly making allusions to race. And it's got this whole subplot thing that's going on that's connected somehow thematically, which, okay, we're into spoilers. I'll just describe it. It's, it's, it's a monkey that went crazy. That was a, it was a sitcom monkey. Chimpanzee, a ch- right? Chimp, yeah, yeah. And it's one of those stories that you read about every now and again where a monkey was somebody's pet or something, and then one day it just went nuts. And so we keep cutting to this traumatic incident at a, you know, at a sitcom where, where there's like blood all over the, the sitcom stage and the cameras are all broken and people are lying on the ground screaming and the chimp is running around hurting people and stuff like that. And that's far and away the most horrific stuff in the movie if you've watched the trailer and you've seen the woman with the the mutilated face in the trailer the idea is that her we don't spend a lot of time with her but the idea was that her face was mutilated when she was a young girl by this chimp going crazy and so we're just putting up with all that and that was the stuff that felt pretty gruesome and pretty horror movie and then somewhere in there is is this alien movie but the chimp story has to be there because you see ben we try and control spectacle i guess i guess the chimp is spectacle now or or maybe it's that we just try and control nature we we think we can control and capture these things but then they they turn on us like what is this and then there's a thing about race in there it's actually hard to describe how disjointed and thematically <laughs> all over the place this movie feels there's the thing if you've watched the trailer again there's the whole thing about black a black jockey right. being the first uh actor in a moving picture because a black jockey was riding the horse in the famous photographs that Edward Moybridge took of the, the horse's legs going off the ground. Some of the first moving pictures in cinematic history. Okay. I don't know what that has to do. And there's like the whole kind of subplot of these people. Our main characters are, they operate a ranch and they, 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 they breed horses to be used in movies. And so it's like black people have always bred horses that are, that are supposed to, and yet people don't, take those people don't take the black people seriously or pay them enough or they, they, they exploit them. Maybe. So, so it's like maybe actually the chimp is a metaphor for black people, but that's an extremely, extremely unfortunate metaphor. Like that's not, that can't be Jordan Peele is not such a provocateur. I don't think that he's going to try and get away with making a chimp a symbol for a black person like that. Maybe he just thinks he can get away with it because everyone will assume, will know that he he's not meaning anything except whatever he means. Right. And I guess if you don't know, he's black, which means he has more latitude to, <laughs> he's the only person in the world that might have the latitude to make that metaphor if he wanted to, but. It does seem crazy that he would. It does. It seems. So it's just really sloppy and all over the place. And. And the monster isn't really given a motive. And so it's like, okay, the monster's spectacle and we're not supposed to want to look at spectacle. Like when we look at, we, we're drawn to look at these things and yet they consume us. So, so walking away from the movie, I was just like, okay, that sounds good, I guess. You know, you could write a good, <laughs> you could write a good PhD film studies paper about that, but what does Jordan Peele actually want me to do? What's the takeaway? Am I supposed to not watch the news? Am I supposed to not watch Hollywood movies? Should I not have seen? Nope. I mean, e- even asking those questions, it's like makes the movie sound more concrete than it actually is. It's like, what is spectacle? The movie doesn't actually tell me what 
spectacle is. It tells me I shouldn't want to look at it. I but. know in the trailers there's some there's the an Asian guy giving a whole speech about miracle or something or like I'm I can change your life in one moment or right. So he's a callow showman who wants to reduce the monster to a show, and uh, we're in spoilers now. So he gets consumed for that for that sin, and, and, and yeah, and yet like what's the allegory here? Who? Is it Hollywood filmmakers? Is it Trump? I mean, it, I guess it could be all of those things or none of those things, or you're just supposed to figure it out yourself. I, I mean, the thing about actual great horror and the didacticism that's inherent to it is that it's pretty simple, actually. Like in a Friday the 13th movie, sex equals death. Not a very wholesome message, actually, but sex just equals death fornication i guess fornication equals death maybe is a wholesome message in its way but not 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 as done by friday the 13th i mean usually like in dracula the everybody knows the moral of dracula it's that there's predators out there and if you let them in they will consume you and dracula represents them dracula is a predator he's a symbol for a child molester or for a murderer or for the person that wants to leech off of you who set, says they're your friend we all we, got, we all could point to specific people in our lives or people that we know about and say, that's a Dracula. Or we could say, this person defies God. They're a Frankenstein. Or this is a child that is acting so strange and is so attenuated to something cultural that I don't understand that it just feels like she's possessed. That's, a, that's an exorcist thing. Like These metaphors are big and broad and kind of obvious. And, and insofar as they're helpful, that's why, because they're obvious. But sp- spectacle like what what does jordan peele want me to do with this and well why yeah i i'm not sure i'm trying to figure it out as you without having seen the movie i'm trying to parse it put it together as you're talking i mean it's like you have to deal with i don't know if it's spectacle but you have to deal with this ufo sort of sideways don't look directly at it right don't 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 get too close to the chimpanzee Right. It's like it's like it's like there's there's a wild and uncontrolled side of things and you have to be respectful. You have to keep yourself at a distance. And but but what that is, I still don't know. Yeah, and I don't know and I watched the darn movie. Like is it a wild and uncontrolled side of human nature? Like you could make a movie about yeah. don't peer into the dark heart of depravity for too long. Don't look at our, your own sin. Or you could make a movie about there's certain social things like race that we want to shove under the rug. We, we want to pretend like either black people don't exist or we can mistreat them and it won't come back to bite us and, and it, al- it always will. But, that, but again, that can't be it because the chimp and the monster can't be just a metaphor for race. That's We can't have the devouring alien and the chimp both be basically black people. That's too reductive. Is it just about the other? Is it just that abstract? Like, we want to we wanna put the other in our entertainment and use it for fuel. But then the other has its own, a mind of its own. But then, yeah, you have the problem that the other is just, it's a chimp or it's a brainless monster. Well, thing it's like, again, stuff. good pop film. You watch <clears throat> Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's like Belloc wants... Wants a, r- a radio transmitter to God. He wants to look into the mysterious things, and he gets destroyed by that, as do all the evil Nazis. And it's like we we actually get that. Some people are blasphemers. Some people think that they can control supernatural power. Some people think that they can wield God to their will, and they need to understand that God and supernatural power and whatever else Spielberg might pile into that are are, are beyond their wield. Like. There's a real concrete 
moral there, whether you agree with it or not. It's just like this didn't have that. I mean, I just felt kind of befuddled and almost stupid. Like, am I? Is there something obvious here that I'm not getting? But but then I think, no offense. I, I hope people don't take this the wrong way, but. I'm not stupid. I'm pretty smart. If I'm not getting this, then I don't think that, I mean, I know this sounds a little snobby maybe, but if I'm not getting this, if, if we can't work it out right now between the two of us, the, the average Friday matinee audience isn't going to get something more profound than, mm. than I did, I don't think. <laughs> so it's like, there's this, there's this moral here. I don't even know what it's about. About. I mean, you don't he, think that this is like a 2001 Space Odyssey situation, Nathan, where in 10 years people won't understand the genius of this movie, but we're behind. The filmmaker's way ahead of us. I mean, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so, though. I mean, I guess people were bored by 2001 and they needed to learn that boredom was part of its, its, uh, its strategy, that monotony, that repetition were part of its strategy. This movie, its strategy is obviously to be a thriller. It's got big, splashy suspense scenes. It's got long action sequences. It's got big, visceral thrills. Like You're supposed to be really excited by this movie in, the, in a way that an actual good alien invasion thriller would excite you. You know, the, this movie was sold as a thriller. I think, I think, it's, I think it's supposed to... I, I don't think I went in expecting it to do something... Like if I, if I just adjusted my expectations, I'd suddenly be on this movie's wavelength and and nobody clapped at the end. You know, I think we had like, you, you know how you can kind of tell, even if you don't talk to anybody, if you're sitting in an audience, you can mm-hmm. kind of just sense what the vibe is, what the energy is, whether yeah. they liked it. I think people were kind of befuddled. Like it was a very sort of sad, calm, hmm. sort of dejected audience that, that walked out. And mm-hmm. I've sat in art films before. And had people walk out elated. I mean, I remember oh, yeah. one, of, one of the best cinematic experiences of my life is sitting in a packed theater opening weekend of There Will Be Blood. And just everybody was buzzing at the, at the crazy, demoralizing, <laughs> weird, violent right. ending of that movie. I mean, I don't think anybody could have articulated what they just saw or what it meant. You know, they would have had similar a similar process ahead of them of parsing this movie. And, and yet they were all really amped just on the energy of, of what just happened. And no country for old men, which came out the same year yeah. was, was similar to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was just a good year for <laughs> violent art films that audiences really liked. This movie did not have that feeling. It had more of the feeling. I remember when I walked out of the last Jedi where everyone was just kind of like, huh, did I like that? I wanted to like it. It had a lot of things that I liked. I was with it for a while, but I'm not sure I actually liked that. Yeah. So I don't think so. I don't think, I mean, I'll eat my hat in 10 years if everybody's figured out that this was a masterpiece and I was just behind. <laughs> Better make a hat out of fruit roll-ups. <laughs> yes, I'll make a hat out of fruit roll-ups and I will, I'll eat it on this podcast and, and we'll take videos and we'll put them on the Patreon and everything. But I mean, the other thing is this movie at the end suddenly decides in a way that feels un. So the movie has been well-made, slow burn, character driven. All the characters are interesting and well-written and they feel like three-dimensional people. And then at the end, we have a series of characters make stupid choices just to drive home 
Jordan Peele's thought, whatever his he thought his moral was, we're, we're, we're going to suddenly, two things happen. We have one character decide, I'm a stupid idiot that only cares about documenting this monster, and so I'm willing to sacrifice my life for it, and indeed he is consumed. And I guess he's he's written to be a bit of a wild card, to be that kind of a guy. But it does feel simply very didactic. Like, here's a character that it turns out you thought was three-dimensional, but actually he was just written to be a two-dimensional cipher to prove Jordan Peele's point, whatever that, whatever his point is. And then worse than that, this this evil TMZ reporter shows up. I mean, literally played as a mysterious evil interloper shows up at the end of the movie. We've never heard of him. We didn't know this movie had anything to do, like no context, but he just shows up for about a five minute sequence where he's just annoying, stupid, repulsive, you know, hey, film me, bro, film me, make sure, makes all the wrong choices and and then gets eaten by the monster after the hero like goes to rescue him. But then, but then we give him, we give the TMZ guy some dialogue where he's just like irrationally mean the person who's trying to rescue him just so the hero can say you know screw you and leave and then the Mm -hmm. guy gets eaten so it's like this guy shows up out of nowhere just to make a didactic point just to be an avatar for everything that jordan peele hates and then to be eaten by the monster and it felt extremely malicious i i really don't like that kind of stuff i don't in general i don't like it when a character is written just to be unlikable like even a great even even a villain character should should feel like they they have their own point of view even a star wars villain even a two-dimensional villain should feel in some Mm -hmm. level like they exist outside of the author's desire to create a hateable character you know they have their own internal logic when a character shows up just to be stupid just to be mean just to be malicious just to make the wrong choices just to be punished in short, just to be punished, that that feels mean-spirited to me. It feels like there's mm-hmm. real people that Jordan Peele really hates that he really wants to punish, and so he's writing one of them into his movie. Now, that, that may or may not be true, but it feels like it, and I don't like that feeling. I hate it. Did you ever have, have the misfortune of sitting through any of Lost? Uh, like day? one episode. Well, there's a pretty famous moment in Lost where there's a guy who – like everybody, I forget what the plot point was, but everybody had been complaining about a certain plot point. Like all the nerds on the internet had been complaining about a plot point and lost. And so they create a character who we've, we've never met before just to mouth those complaints. He just says all the things that the fans have, had been saying up to that point. And then he drops some nitroglycerin and blows himself up. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just nakedly the creator saying, hey, don't criticize us. Like, we we don't want to hear what you have to say. It's really mean spirited. It's like we've created a dumb character to just walk on stage, say everything that you say, and then get blown up. <laughs> I mean, it's almost charming just how like nakedly vitriolic it, mm-hmm. it is. But but it but it really those kinds of things feel really sour to me. I hate it. I hate that kind of thing. You know, it's it's one of the things that we've always complained about and that I've always hated about the Guardians of the Galaxy movies and james gunn's whole thing it's like there's a kind of person and i I suspect it might be me and you who james gunn really doesn't (laughs) like and really wants to dehumanize and really wants to murder in his cinema um and and i do not (laughs) 
appreciate that. And this was the same thing. It's like, okay, yeah, no, I don't like TMZ either. I don't like tabloid journalism. Who likes tabloid journalism? But you're really going to have this character show up just so the audience can hate him. And so he, and so the hero can hate him. And so the monster can eat him. Like that's bad, bad morally. It's bad storytelling. It yanks you out of the movie because suddenly we're preaching instead of telling a story. And I just, that was when I was done and I was angry when I walked out of the movie. I, I, I really don't like things like that. And it just betrays like, like if you're going to do that, then I don't trust anything else that you mm-hmm. did. Like, like, Oh, that's the caliber of, of writing that we're dealing with here. So I was, you know, maybe I was going to go out on a limb for you spending a fourth of your movie on this monkey subplot. But once you do that, I don't trust you with the monkey subplot anymore. You've lost my trust. I'm not mm-hmm. willing to go out on that limb. I'm not willing to give you, well, I don't know if that's the way that you'd normally do it, but maybe you're a genius. So maybe I let you do it this weird way. You know, it's like if, if 2001 had a scene that was just obviously really, 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 really dumb, <laughs> you, it would negate the rest of the movie. You wouldn't trust yeah, Stanley Kubrick's good intention, but it doesn't. So, yeah, I kind of, I kind of hated this movie. I mean, it's one of those movies that people will talk about, and you'll hear maybe one of the reasons to do this podcast, even though it's a little outside of the purview of what our average listener might actually be tempted to watch, is because they will. You will hear people talking about this. You'll hear people really praising it. You'll hear people being really provoked. You'll see think pieces about it, and maybe even some. I haven't seen this, but I could see Christians latching onto it because it does have some. There is some criticism of Hollywood or of our desire for spectacle or or something like that buried in there. Although it's so nebulous and abstract that I think almost anyone with any point of view could find some something to say it symbolizes or to attach to it. Like mm-hmm. I don't like Marvel movies. I guess the monster is Marvel movies. We want to look at them and they consume our brain cells. You know, it's like you could attach, this is movie. I'm a Christian and I just don't like Hollywood. And someone finally made a movie that I guess, but I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what to say about that. Ben, what other thoughts do you have about this movie that you didn't (laughs) see? (laughs) I wish I had more. I mean, I've been mulling it over trying to assign a coherent meaning to the symbolism you've talked about and the, the themes, the images, but it's it's hard to do. Well, it's like C.S. Lewis says: you, a great, a good book entertains first. If it doesn't that's hold right. your attention, then who cares what? Like like that's the first pass. It has to. That's right. It has to. If it can't do that, then you don't trust it with anything else. And, and this movie failed that test. Now, to be fair, I saw it with my wife, and she said, "I liked the parts that weren't scary." But to also be fair, she spent about. I'd say literally 50% of the movie with her eyes covered. So <laughs> she likes maybe 40% of the movie. I don't know. It's got some good character interactions and little moments and stuff. Like he's a, he's a good writer. He's a good filmmaker, but right. he needs to actually have something to say that's coherent. It almost makes you long for Get Out. Like systemic racism is bad. White people are taking advantage of black people. Well, so what? What the critic Walter Chaw said is that Get Out was his it was his first movie and it was a seaworthy vessel. It yeah. was a very very well thought out, well written concept movie. Yeah, it it had its point. It, it made its point. It's it's all the plot held up. The plot tracked with the theme. All those things. I have no desire to see Get Out. I'm not right. going to see it. But 
but I believe that. I, I trust Walter Chaw's judgment about things like that. Sure. <clears throat> and Walter Chaw said this movie is, who knows what it means. Yeah. Yeah. And Walter Chaw, the reason that we both <laughs> like him, even though he is cranky <laughs> and an atheist and vulgar and, all, and many bad things. The, re- the reason that we're both attracted to reading his film criticism is because he is honest. <laughs> there's a lot of people, there's a lot of film critics out there that will watch a movie like this and be like, I didn't really get it, but it feels like it's saying something and it's made by a guy who's hip and has something to say. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so therefore. Or they just project what they want right. on it. And, and so they give it these good reviews where they're like, well, I wanted it to mean this. And so I guess it does. And it's a masterpiece. And Walter Shaw always cuts through that kind of thing with a bitter, <laughs> <laughs> jagged, serrated knife. <laughs> he's, he's just like, nope. <laughs> that wasn't even a pun, dear uh, listener. At least not until after the fact. Not until after the fact. Well, and I just think, like I said, I really respect, I mean, I've read a billion stories of the supernatural, alien stories, s- s- weird fiction I, I respect the form's ability to say something. I think it is one of the, if you want to be didactic, if you have a big point to make about society or something like that, you could do a lot worse than to write a horror story or a sci-fi story. They are both very rich with metaphor. Some of the richest metaphor places of, 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 of any kind of fiction. The best short story I ever read about abortion was a short story about uh, abortion that was a horror story, which I won't describe because it was horrific, but you you, you can imagine. But the, 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 the Twilight Zone is great at packaging a tidy little moral about nuclear annihilation or the way that man turns on man or the way that mm-hmm. this or that, the way that a father can be cruel to his family, whatever, into a, into a little 25-minute morality play. Horror and sci-fi is uniquely suited to be a morality play and to have simple little didactic points that it makes without people resenting them. Maybe because it's both are kind of inherently negative. I mean, sci-fi is never about what if society was great? Uh, you know, <laughs> sometimes it'll be like, what if society pretended it was great, but there were cracks beneath the utopian, <laughs> but you know, generally because both are negative, maybe, maybe we accept allegory. Maybe it's easier to ex- not resent allegory when it's allegory for something terrible. I don't know. That's neither here nor there, but, yeah, I, I think Jordan Peele is, if he wants to make a social statement, he is working in the right genre, whether it's sci-fi or horror, it's, a, it's the right genre. If he had something to say, this was the place for it, <laughs> actually. I don't resent him trying to say something. I resent him failing to say something. And I especially resent, I mean, there's one thing if he's like ambitious and tries his best and just strikes out like he can't land the airplane. That's one thing. But this movie has that smug feeling that certain things have where it's like, no, he really, he really didn't bring his a game. You know, you know, it's like I can, I can be okay with the greatest basketball player in the world playing a bad game on the night that I went and saw him. But what I will not forgive is him being half baked, not giving it his all, not actually, what I, what I cannot forgive is Jordan Peele thinking the screenplay was done smugly saying well i wrote a first draft and now it's done it must be genius that's that's pretentious and i don't like it write another draft dude i'm sure he wrote many drafts i'm sure you find some somebody will dig up an interview where he's like i wrote eight drafts see nathan well he should have wrote nine if he wrote eight he should have wrote nine if he wrote 20 he should have wrote 21 because this thing wasn't done and it does not speak well of him that he thought it was 
<laughs> and I think my audience all felt it. I think my audience was there to have a good time and see and be and maybe even learn a thing or two. But <laughs> I don't think they learned anything and I don't think they had that great of a time. I think they probably enjoyed it in fits and starts, enjoyed the individual sequences. And there are great sequences of alien action type fleeing the saucer kind of stuff in this movie. I mean, he is a good filmmaker. I cannot deny it. If I pulled up a YouTube clip for Ben right now, if we were at the moment where it was on home video and every mm -hmm. single scene was on YouTube, <clears throat> I could make Ben very much want to see this movie. Mm. But then I'd say, just watch these other YouTube clips and you'll have gotten everything good because it's not a good story. <sighs> All right. Too bad. Too bad. Better luck next time, Peel. I, I say, okay, here's my step of the theme. Yeah. It's about, it's about using other people for entertainment without respecting them. And so the chimp is not respected for the raw force he represents and the balloon pops. Mm -hmm. The UFO is not respected for the raw. It's just, tr they just try to commodify it. Right. And that becomes destructive. And then the UFO gets its comeuppance at the end as a balloon pops in its mouth because it's just consuming everything. So mm -hmm. it deserves to be punished by balloon popping. Yeah, I mean, I would like it better if it was, like, if, if that's the story you want to tell, just do the chimp, actually. Yeah. Because the audience can have the right amount of sympathy for the monster in that case. Like, oh, we created this thing, we unleashed it, we didn't respect it, and there's something kind of sad about it. Like, that, 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 that as a metaphor... That works. It's similar to Frankenstein's monster or something like that. Mm -hmm. But this monster, but this big nebulous space creature that's not even ever, he's, he's like vaguely biological, but also kind of, it's like, the, as it turns out, the saucer is the creature and it kind of unfolds into this very alien thing with, not with like teeth or anything, but like you, like you can't you can't tell if it's biomechanical or just mechanical or a creature like mm -hmm. it's not given but the point is it's not given any personality and so to have a semi scary semi sympathetic chimp and then to have a personality less force creates a very putting those two things together and then throwing a bunch of other scenes with all these other muddy associations uh, it creates a very muddled metaphor that's hard to parse and again if you're saying that we can modify people and they're going to turn on you, then you've said that the chimp represents black America. <laughs> and that's an extremely unfortunate allegorical choice. Hmm. Okay. I'm trying to, I'm trying to dig myself out of this hole, but it's, it's hard. Yep. Yep. I, I just feel like it's, it's an unwinnable game. I mean, the thing about the good thing, the, the cheat code that Jordan Peele has, the, the Kobayashi Maru tactic that he can use is he can say, artistic thing he can say it's whatever you want it to mean or he can <laughs> he can retreat into being an artist and you well he, he can literally say to people i don't want to tell you what it means you have to figure it out uh, yep. he is not going to have to <clears throat> face a jury of his peers like he That's should right. and <laughs> go to movie jail yeah. if he doesn't explain this thing <laughs> which means he can just let a dangling half-baked metaphor which may or may not be that the chimp represents black America the way it was used by Hollywood. He can just let it out there without having to give an account for himself. And Well, Nathan, you see, the chimp was just the way that other people saw them, the white people saw them. Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah, never mind. This is getting worse. <laughs> yeah, you can't, you can't do it, especially as, as white guys. I, I think we will go to literal jail if we try to pursue that conversation mm. too much. We'll get canceled. So, yeah. And then to have this really nebulous, just assign the monster. If you want to make people understand 
what's going on, you could assign the alien a motive. And I don't know what that motive would be, but give it some personality. And that could tell you, that would give you a lot of clues as to what Jordan Peele was actually saying. Mm -hmm. But he chooses intentionally, I guess, to not give the alien personality. And that just makes it really confusing. Like, is it an impersonal force that we're all tempted to capture on a film? Is it a very personal thing? Like, is it the way that we mistreat certain groups of people? I, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, we could do another hour where we spin our wheels and yeah. speculate about this. But yeah, and again, I, I maybe someone would say, well, at least the movie made you think. Aren't you glad to be our having? <laughs> how many movies have you seen that even make you have an argument about it? Isn't that a, isn't that valuable in and of itself, even if you can't come to any kind of consensus viewpoint on it? No. <laughs> No, I don't think so. <laughs> I think I think art that is intentionally obscure is crap. <laughs> well, <clears throat> what you what you mean is what you mean is you mean that art that's half baked because art that's intentionally obscure like two thousand one right. is different. Well, right? Yes, it is. So Strunk and White has a thing that's always strunk uh, strunk with you, strunk with <laughs> me. Yeah, elements of style, the great book on writing. He says. The whole book is about be simple, be concise, make sure that the reader understands you. But then he says, okay, what if you want to write something that's obscure? Because sometimes poets, for example, or fiction writers, or any number, there might be any number of reasons why you want to write something that is that doesn't make sense. And he says, the guiding principle for that is, as he puts it, be obscure clearly. Mm -hmm. In other words... Tell your audience, this is the part that you're not supposed to understand. Here's all the pieces. Mm -hmm. I want to make sure you understand the pieces as clearly as you need to. And then here's the thing that I want to think of you to think about. And so a hack example, but a good hack example, and actually a pretty fine moment in popular cinema, even though I don't like the filmmaker, is the top in Inception. Mm -hmm. We do not know at the end of that movie whether Leonardo DiCaprio is still in some level of dream or not. We are meant to go back and watch the movie again and try and figure out, was he in a dream or was he not in the dream? And that is actually the, that is a very simple, simplistic version, but it is a good kind of obscure where, where A, the movie's not really about the answer, it's about the question, and the ending's not really about the answer, it's about the question, like... And the movie tells you that's what it is. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I'm not saying it clearly. Maybe I'm not being obscure clearly here. But the movie, the movie wants you to think about something. And so it says, here, we've laid out the rules. We've told you what this story is. Now, here is the thing that we are not going to answer that we want you to answer. And there's much more complex artistic ways you can do that, like a great poem. Some, something like T.S. Eliot's The Wasteland. It's like there is a way to decipher it. Elliot does give you the clues. You have to sit down and you have to figure mm -hmm. it out and you have to do the work or you have to rely on, in my case, rely on the work that others have done. It is, it is incredibly challenging. It is incredibly obscure. But he laid out his obscurity right. clearly mm -hmm. and he, ba he fully baked his metaphors in, in a way that either you can figure them out or you can understand when you're not meant to. And that is much different than just a half-baked mess of ideas that I don't think Jordan Peele himself could probably wade through and explain 
what half of them are meant to mm-hmm. evoke. Or maybe he could explain a little bit here and a little bit over here. But there is no... There's no coherent system. Coherent system. Yeah. You get to the end of 2001, you may not understand a thing, but you know that Kubrick understands. And you know that insofar as he doesn't understand, that's where he wants to leave you. He's made an intentional choice and he's laid out everything that you need to know Mm -hmm. to get to the end of the movie and understand whatever it is that he wants you to understand, whether you get it or not. Jordan Peele, not the same thing. So I I brought up the pretentious example of the wasteland on purpose because I think you can build an incredibly complex and dense and almost impossible to decipher piece of art and it could be good but you have to do it with purpose and intentionality Mm -hmm. and your own understanding and your own commitment to whatever set of rules you're you want the person to use to decipher it as they maybe deciphers the 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 wrong word because you you i mean i I guess the other thing i'd say about this is you can create something that I, i think there is an artistic way and a artistically credible way to say I don't really know what this means. In fact, there isn't really a meaning, but there's a feeling and I want you to have that feeling. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I'm doing. Yeah. And a very evil filmmaker who, but but a good example of this kind of thing would be David Lynch, who Mm -hmm. I don't think he could tell you what, I don't think he wants to tell you what his movies mean. I don't think his movies actually mean anything, but they, they have a feeling, they have an ambiance to them. And that's the point. Mm -hmm. understanding the plot is not the point the point is just this dreamlike associations that make you feel things and so jordan peele i guess he could make a movie where it's like you're supposed to just have this feeling by the end but that's not what he was doing he had intellectual ideas things that he wanted you to understand associations that he wanted you to make and at the end of the movie because he's done it so sloppily you do not know how to make them Right. And you don't know what you're supposed to feel. I mean, that's the other thing. That's what's so frustrating about it. Like, was I supposed to be a little sympathetic for the monster? Was I not? Do I like the chimp? Do I not like the chimp? Is, uh, how, how much am I supposed to look down on these characters? How much am I supposed to be in their corner? Are they all corrupt for one? You know, that's the, the I mean, I could talk a lot more about the mixed messaging of this movie because our heroes are actually trying to capture a photograph of the monster or to film it. That's their mission. That's like their big, that's, that's the plot of the movie is they want to film the monster. And at the end of the movie, after many others have been punished and suffered and died for doing it, our heroes actually do successfully do it. And the movie's very unclear as to whether we should have been against them doing this the whole time or whether it was okay the way they did it, but bad the way these other people did. It's just like, hmm, it's a mess. It's a mess. So he could have just been clear like I think a good sci-fi or horror thing actually often is he could have been obscure clearly laid out his rules and given you a fun movie to puzzle over and figure out, or he could have given you a mood piece that has no meaning and does not intend to have a meaning beyond the meaning that comes with mood and association and dream. It's about the id. It's about the id. That's what I just decided. Yeah. 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 The chimp is the id. The aliens, the id. But he didn't do any of those things. He tried to split the difference. He tried to do all three of those things. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what he thought he was doing. But uh, it's no good. It's no good. Yep. Yep. Jordan Peele. And I do hold him to a higher stand. You know, it's like people, the other thing people might say listening to this is, well, okay, but ambition, 
like, isn't it just refreshing to have a guy with ambition instead of all these beam counters and hacks that make Marvel? Yeah, it is. It is refreshing to have a guy that's trying to do something, but everything's relative. And what I mean by everything's relative is it's a big difference when you go to see Jordan, Michael Jordan play basketball and when you go to see podunk guy that you have no expectations for play basketball you expect certain things of michael jordan that you don't expect of the other guy and jordan peele makes a certain promise when i go to see his movie i'm buying a ticket i'm entering into an agreement with a filmmaker to give me a thrilling movie that has big ideas that will challenge me and make me think and move me when he and 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 that and that will be done at a high level of skill Those are all the things he promises when he puts his name on something and he does not deliver on those promises. And that's irritating and bad. Mm -hmm. And yes, I'm glad that there are bigger promises than Dr. Strange made. I'm glad that he is more capable of fulfilling those promises than Dr. Strange was, but he's got to hold up his end of the bargain. I see Jordan Peele movie. I see it for these things. And if he does not provide them, then he has failed me. He has not held up his end of the bargain. And yeah, my brain cells have been consumed because I looked at this this movie. That is the point. Yes. I was chewed up and spit out by an alien creature called Nope. So, better luck next time, Peel. You should peel off a better screenplay next time, bud. Speaking of better screenplays, Ben, mm. I'll tell you who likely has at least one screen in their house, if not multiple, yeah. And probably likes to play. Maybe they even have a play Maybe on their yeah, shelves. Yeah, I, I would not be shocked at all if this person had a play on their shelves. Be- well, it's two people, two great people, Ryan and Judith, our Patron Choice Award of Awesomeness winners for today's episode. What would you say makes Ryan and Judith so awesome? Well, if Ryan and Judith were trying to film an alien menace or something that it was hard to film, they would just think about it really carefully. Get it done, not waste time with side hustles. It would, it would just be a very clear, coherent adventure that they would have. And if there was any theme, they would know what it was. Right. Well, you just reminded me of one other thing I wanted to say about this movie. Hmm. When your allegory does not connect enough, like when enough <laughs> components of your allegory don't connect to the thing it's allegorizing, it's really frustrating. What I mean by that is, Let's say, for the sake of simplicity, Dracula is a metaphor for predators in our lives. A child molesters, let's say. In the case of both Dracula and a child molester, you should stay away from them and not invite them into your home. (laughs) (laughs) It's a good allegory. With this alien, it's like, there's no moral reason in the universe of the movie taken at face value that our heroes shouldn't want to film the alien there's no real moral reason that tmz shouldn't want to film the alien or that the other the 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 lesser characters shouldn't want to film the alien (coughs) i guess some of them at the end of the movie are being a little cheap with their own lives but generally speaking the movie doesn't paint any compelling reason why we shouldn't want to look at the alien in universe Mm -hmm. it just says it's a metaphor for something else that we shouldn't want to look at (laughs) but that only works if if the allegory, you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> oh, yeah, I know what you're saying. The rules of the allegory have to correspond to the rules of the thing it's allegorizing, and it doesn't. Ryan and Judith wouldn't make that mistake, though. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, no, no. They know how to allegorize. Well, 
Yeah, we're done. Uh, go to patreon.com forward slash sanity at the movies to support this fine work. That's all. All right. Until next time. Nope.